Hello, my friend. Welcome to another episode of Deciding to Win. Thank you for spending time with us. I'm your host, Reginald Nsoma. I'm an aerospace engineer with a passion for youth leadership and mentorship and the founder of Future Ready Africa. In each episode, we bring you an inspiring personal message to inspire you, motivate you to win in life. Let's get started. the cradle of humanity but one cannot remain in the cradle forever humanity needs to leave our cradle and explore a quote from russian space scientist konstantin Tchaikovsky, and re-echoed by our guest today dr soyeon yi is south korea's first and only astronaut she was selected out of 36,000 contestants in december 2006 on april 8 2008 she launched into space on board soyuz tma 12 Dr. Yi completed aggressive number of experiments contributing to South Korea's science textbooks and science TV educational channels. Dr. Yi also survived a force of nearly 16G upon ballistic re-entry after her 11-day mission was over. She has a PhD in mechanical engineering and a technology-based MBA from the University of California, Berkeley. She has worked in different startups in Silicon Valley and currently working on malaria prevention and other health-related challenges around the world. She is committed to nurturing the next generation of leaders in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. She joins us today on this episode. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Deciding to Win podcast. And today we have a very, very, very special guest who has not just lived on Earth, but also outside Earth. (laughs) So we have Dr. Soyeon Yi joining us. She is the very, very first and only astronaut from South Korea and the first female astronaut to have come from South Korea. And I don't know how many female astronauts there are, but I know there are very few. So uh, Dr. Soyeon, welcome to the Deciding to Win podcast. Hello. So nice to meet you. And thank you for inviting me. Wow. Wow. I'm so I'm so honored. You know, uh, Dr. Soyeon, I am in the Ghanaian Air Force. I have a bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering from oh. Ghana. Yeah, so mm-hmm. um, this not only, I'm not just, you know, happy, but I'm so, so excited that once in my aerospace, learning about rockets and, you know, space design and space materials, I get to actually speak to an astronaut once in my life. So I'm so, so excited. Yeah, and I believe this oh. will be the first of many. How do you describe yourself? Oh, how I can self. Uh, I am originally engineer. So I studied mechanical engineering for my bachelor's and master's. But during that time, I'm interested in uh, biotechnology. So I did engineering for my piece. So for a long time, I believe I'm an engineer. But uh, during my PhD, I applied for a Korean astronaut program. And luckily, unfortunately, I was selected as a final two candidate. And I went to the Russia, had the training. And yeah, finally, I went to the ISS almost 14 years ago because I launched it on April 8th of 2008. So it's pretty much almost my anniversary is coming. <laughs> and yeah, since then, I worked for Kari. It's kind of like a space agency in Korea. For, for several years and then but I realized that uh Korean space program doesn't have astronaut program anymore they are more focused on the rocket and satellite but my background is not 
close to the rocket and satellite. So I changed my career to the little bit more business sector. So I did my MBA in UC Berkeley several years ago. And since then, I'm working for the startups, not only software, but also space. And nowadays, it's more close to my original background, biotechnology. So I'm working in a Korean startup, especially uh, taking care of the malaria to help the people in Africa. So that's because nowadays I'm so interested in African country. And this podcast is also meaningful because we always checking out what kind of African country has a more malaria patient. And then I realized that more people that died because of the malaria than the COVID for whole our life. Actually, almost every year because of the malaria, people died amount of the people who is killed totally because of the COVID. But I'm so sad not many people's known about that because it's only happening in Africa and very isolated. So I and our team and my companies, we are so care about every single life in any place on earth. And we really want to help the people. So I'm kind of happy nowadays to do something helping people in the on the earth more than before. So sometimes I feel like the job I'm doing right now is more meaningful than my space flight because it's directly helping people and save lives. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> wow, wow, that that's amazing. And I'm happy you are saying that uh, you know you feel more connected to Africa and want to do work in Africa. So I'm inviting you to Ghana. <laughs> yeah, yeah hopefully glad. I can have a chance to visit Ghana, Kenya, and Malawi. Those three countries are the uh, top number three of in my mind because one of my son, not exactly biological son, but I supported one uh, boy who's scholarship and studying and even university because he needed help. So he grew up in uh, Kenya. Okay. And also, Ghana, the reason why I'm interested in it is because one of the very famous and popular like a comedian or a kind of person who is from Ghana he's so popular in Korea so <laughs> he always talk about Ghana on the TV so I and my husband and I, oh Ghana um, it, it seems really interesting and then sometimes he introduced his own hometown and a mom and siblings and that that's very interesting and then we realized that I didn't know about Ghana is the name of a country when I was a kid only Ghana is the name of the chocolate in Korea. But finally, I realized, oh my God, that name of the chocolate from the country Ghana, that's the Ghana. And so the Ghana is another country. And the Malawi, the reason why, because my company right now, we had an office in Malawi to help the malaria patient in Malawi. And also we have a really close connection with the hospital in Malawi. So those three countries, the top three countries I really want to visit in the yeah, future. Yeah, yeah, you should, you should, because, uh, and then, you, you know, there's a lot of love for South Korea here in Ghana. A lot of mm -hmm. people watch a lot of movies and series from Korea. Mm -hmm. You know, they love K-pop also. So mm -hmm. that, yeah, yeah, that one is great. And if you love chocolate, you know, Ghana is the home for chocolate. So you would yeah, have... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so right. And also, I was so in, uh, kind of wondering because the guy who is from Ghana is uh, his name is Sam Ochi, and we always wonder about is he 
Kashmir popular area? Why is he also popular in Ghana? Have you ever heard about his name? He said Sam Autry. Yeah, Sam Autry. Yeah, if oh. you cannot think about his name right away, it means he's not that popular like in Korea. Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, our comedians always have a stage name. So maybe mm -hmm. he has a, a different stage name. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me. Okay. I'm just looking at him up. Whoa. Oh, okay. I think he's more popular in Korea than in Ghana. I guess so. Yeah, because many of the foreign entertainer in Korea, they are not that popular in their own country, only in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. So what was growing up like for you? When you were growing up in in Korea, uh, yeah. uh, actually, I grew up a little bit of the rural area in Korea, and my dad was working for the farmers association. It means around my neighborhood, a lot of people's uh, farmers, and okay. I still remember my father's friends. They always bring tomatoes and some vegetables, and especially during the rice harvest season my father was so busy because a lot of rice farmers that they are a lot around our neighborhood so i didn't grow up in uh metropolitan city i grew up in more like a farming uh society and that's because not many people are well educated and uh, we are more like a conservative because farming area is always any country is more conservative than the other area, like a metropolitan city. So my mom and dad never went to the college. My mom even never went to the even middle school because she's also a farmer's daughter. But I really feel grateful that my mom, even if she've never gone for the middle school, high school, she always think education is really important. So she support me and my brother and sister's education a lot and she always said that even if i couldn't study a lot but i hope you guys study a lot and change your life and get out of this society and then success will be successful in the future and that that was wonderful because she said her dad doesn't want her to study more because it's very yeah very old time and in korea if women's educated more than the guy, they don't listen to their husband. And it, it, it's very ignorant culture, but cannot help it long time ago because everybody believes so. But my mom think woman also can do anything you want. So she always told me like, so you think about what you really want and then you can try whatever you want. I don't want to kind of make you down. Even if my father doesn't want me to go to the school, but I don't doubt my father loves me or something, but in different way, because he tried to protect her, uh, his daughter, but in different way. But my mom always said that women, even if you're a woman, you should be independent and you should defend yourself no matter what happened. And she even put me in the Taekwondo gym. And then I have a third black belt because uh, my mom told me you should you can defend yourself because we don't know what happened in the future as a woman. And then I, I think that's really brave action as an old time woman. And that influenced me a lot. So I grew up very independently. And then she always said, I'm so sorry, I cannot help you for advising about the studying and academia because I've never been in college. But 
And somehow that helps me a lot because I always can decide whatever I want independently. Even if some friends of mine, their parents are very well educated, they always influenced by their parents and then they don't know what they like. They always follow their parents' advice. But my case is mom and dad always said, yeah, you, you can choose. It's your life, not our life. So that, yeah, made me kind of independent. And then when I apply for an astronaut, I don't have to ask my mom. Even my mom doesn't know until I survive uh, until 30. And then she read the newspaper article and then she just surprised. And then I told her, but she's still surprised. And then she was so excited that I'm on the TV. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I still feel so grateful for my mom and dad who uh, raised me very independent and then can decide my own life by myself. And that that's huge. Yeah. So why did you go into mechanical engineering, not uh, not into medical uh, sciences or medicine or, or <laughs> arts or music? Yeah, that's a really good question. And then a lot of people ask me and then they expect some really meaningful story behind that, but it's not. It's a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first of all, I'm quite interested in engineering and technology thanks to my dad. And then even yeah. if my dad working in a farmer's association as a banker, he always have some kind of big potential as an engineer. You know what? I'm pretty sure that if my dad is from the little bit richer family than his own family, he might go to the engineering school. The reason okay. why he became a banker is his family is so poor and then working in a banker is the best way to feed their family. So he decided that not because of he loves to do it, but because to help his family. As a, a eldest brother of his siblings and then his mom and dad, it's not that kind of capable to take care of the family. So make him walk in a bank for 30 years, even if it's not his talent and it's not his willing. And that's also amazing because I, they, they can, it can tell that my dad is that responsible person. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. he's born engineer because he always fixes his own car and then he fixes our own boiler in our house and whatever toys broken of mine and my brothers, he always fix it by himself. Of course, he always have an excuse, right? Oh, we cannot afford a higher engineer. We cannot afford a technician. So I should try by myself. But you know what? Even if he cannot afford it, if he cannot do it, he cannot do it. But he always fix it. So he fixed my bicycle. He fixed his own car. And I was always right next to him. And then I thought like, it's really amazing and it's fun. So I always try to help him. And then sometimes he said, oh, just sit and watch it. Don't bother me. But sometimes he always asked me help and I'm just helping him. And at some point I became his first assistant and we just fixed together. And then I still remember the really sweet time when I was in primary school or sometime. And then my dad should fix the whole boiler system in my house. So Everybody kind of cornered in one small room and we just break all those floors and make the old new boiler system together. And I just run around the house and checking the temperature and checking the piping. And he just yelling to me, Soyeon, can you feel this temperature? Yeah, it's warm and it's not still cool. It's not still warm. And it was a really fun project. And yeah, 
after grow up, I realized that not that many families, they fix their own boiler. They always hire a technician, but we did ourselves. And then I mixed the cement. I kind of put the cement on the floor. And that, that was really, really fun. And those kind of environment maybe influenced me and then thinking about to study science and engineering. And when I went to the college, I should decide my major after first year because my school was a little bit different than other school. We just entered to the college without having any major. And then we just take the prerequisite like calculus and physics 101 and kind of like that. And after one year, we can decide our major. And I don't know what kind of major I should pick because I don't have any background knowledge. I don't know what's the civil engineering, what's the mechanical engineering, what's the aerospace engineering. I've never heard about that because my parents never been in college. So my strategy is like, uh, maybe let me make a compete each major, each other to attract me. So like, uh, I write down the, all the name of the major of my school on the big, huge paper. I just compare each of two, like a World Cup. So computer science and biotechnology, uh, computer science and biology, which one I hate more. So it's easy to think hate more rather than the like more. So, oh, I hate computer more. So biology survive. And civil engineering and material engineering, which one I hate more. Civil engineering is more like a manly. Maybe material engineering is better. So I did that. So eight majors survive and four majors survive and like that. So finally, three majors survive in material engineering and yeah, civil engineering and mechanical engineering. Those three survive at the end. It's, it's like a final of the World Cup of the major. And I call my mom, mom, what major I should take? So my mom said, I don't know. I don't know about the major in the technical school. And so listen, there's a civil engineering and material engineering and mechanical engineering. What do you think is better? And then my mom said, oh, you know what? So civil engineering is more like a guy's job, not the girl's job. I don't like that. So civil engineering eliminated. So finally, material engineering and mechanical engineering survived. Do you know what? It's very non-scientific choice. <laughs> And I realized that a lot more my friends, you know, mechanical engineering rather than the motor engineering. <laughs> so all my close friends, because I studied in a science high school, I have much more male friends than the female friends. Yeah. So still 99% of my friends are more male than the female yeah. because I'm, I studied in engineering school. So I just choose the mechanical engineering. But you know what? After studying two, three years later, I realized, oh, my God, I was so lucky because I choose mechanical engineering very accidentally, very non-scientifically, non-logically, but I really love it. And when I choose a mechanical engineering, I also thought about to transfer to other uh, major because yeah. I know myself choosing the mechanical engineering is very unlogical. So if I don't like it, maybe I can transfer later. But I love that major. And then I realized that my dad's kind of skill also mechanical engineering, uh, fixing the boiler and fixing the car like that. So, and whenever I make something, it moves or it walking, that makes me feel so happy and proud. So yeah, that's how I pick. So 
many of the kids and、uh, high school students, they feel so stressful what kind of major I should choose. But I can tell you, I even couldn't do that. And you cannot make a best choice ever. You just try it and you just feel it. If you don't like it, you can change whenever. It's not ultimate choice. So, yeah, but as you can see, I changed to the biotechnology after several years. And then now I'm working in a business. So, it's not ultimatum. So, you can change anytime. Wow, that's, that's such an interesting story. But whilst you were in school, whilst you were a child, were you ever drawn to the skies? Did you ever think you were going to be an astronaut? Was、uh, it? Frankly speaking, I think、uh, many of the African kids、uh, sympathize with me more than other European or American kids because. In Korea, when I was kids, we don't have any space program. We don't have even space agency. And I even d o e s n t know about the vocabulary astronaut. I even didn't know that people can go to the space at all because when I was growing up, we, I even didn't have a chance to watch the SF movie because when I was a kid, not every house has a TV, even. Yeah, we don't have internet. And it's really expensive and hard to go to the movie theater. So, I didn't have any influence from the SF movies and dramas and like that. So, and not that many times look up to the night sky and not that many times thinking about the stars. So, even if you grow up like that, once you study more and if you go to the engineering school and then you know about the aerospace and kind of like that and universe, and then you can start from there. Okay. So, at what point did you? See yourself to be an astronaut or to go into the, the space program? When did, it, when did you start generating the interest, even、uh, thinking? It's, yeah. yeah, it's a very interesting question and then it's a little bit embarrassing and surprising. It. I've never thought about being an astronaut or go to the space, even when, when I apply astronaut program, because it's very first program in Korea and Korean government announced the whole country. Whoever w a n t to be an astronaut, please apply for it. And I realized that 36,000 people applied. And as a normal people, you cannot be sure you can beat all 30, 36,000 people and it can be the final, right? So when、yeah. I apply for the, this program, still, I don't believe I will be an astronaut. And then I didn't even dream to be an astronaut. I have other a g e n d a And then at that time, it was almost the end of my PhD program. And I'm looking for the postdoc opportunity in US or in Europe to develop my career more. And I just felt like, yeah, if I apply for an、uh, astronaut program and if I survive until 300 or several thousand, I can write on my resume to apply for a postdoc program.、Okay. Then maybe American professors, they love Star Trek and Star Wars <laughs> and they might be interested in me than other boring resume of. Other Asian students who have a 4.0 and who has a perfect score of the TOEFL, but I don't have a perfect score of TOEFL. I don't have a 4.0 at all, GPS.、Uh, so, how I can kind of appeal me to the <laughs> professors in a better school in the US? And then, yeah, Astro program might be good. So, my goal is to survive until 300. So, once I survive until 300, I can write down one line of the resume. And then maybe I can apply for the, my postdoc program and then kind of we can have ice breaking conversation during the interview. So I have a totally different agenda. 
<laughs> so so when it was getting closer, how was the feeling like? Like when when the numbers kept reducing and you saw yourself not being dropped, you, see, you saw yourself moving and jumping from one stage to another. How was the feeling like? What, what was happening to you in your mind? Yeah, you know what? Most exciting thing is the meeting people during those selection process because once yeah. once the reducing until 30 and you can know each other very well because we meet together and we compete each other. And then I just thought like, even if I cannot survive more than this, it's amazing to meet these wonderful people. And then they are all kind of successful person in their own field, their own industry. And it's my first time to meet the jet fighter pilot. It's my first time to meet the really smart policeman, not the policeman in my neighborhood, but the policeman who is the top of the police school. And someone is the diplomat and someone speaks Russian even already very well. And someone is a PhD in aerospace. So as I'm meeting those 30 people, I was sure that I cannot be the final because they are so competitive. And after, even after 10, even after eight and six, I have my own number one person in my mind. And then maybe those two will be the final. And then I'm just pretty sure that I cannot be the final. And then, but I'm so honored to meet those people. And then I'm just imagine that, okay, what if he will be the first current astronaut? Eh, I can be the best friend of the first current astronaut. That's so exciting to me. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, still, wow. they are my best friend. Yeah. Wow, great. So, what happened the night or the day you you got the the nod? You were selected. How was that? How was that feeling? And were they looking for two or one? So, how did they end up being you? Yeah, actually, when I when my name was announced as a final two, I I cannot believe it. It was so surprising, and my mom and dad and all my family was so surprising and shocking. And the most funny thing is one of my cousin and he think because everyone's a Korean and oh my God, oh, she never ever can marry if she <laughs> proved that she's most toughest woman in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very Korean reaction. <laughs> and all my friends start talking about that. And then my face and another guy's finalist face on the newspaper in Korea, right next day, cover page. I still remember one of my best friend's uh, remark after that because finally we announced as a final two and then the next day, every single Korean newspaper covered our face on the top and those are two are final astronaut candidate. And my friends come to me because I just go to my lab and to do my research, PhD research. And then she's he just come to oh my soyun. Did you see the newspaper? Every single newspaper has your face. And then, oh my God, everybody knows you. And then he said, Thank you, Soyun. And I said, For what? What did I do for you? And then he said, You know what? I just lived in Korea for 30, 40 years because he's senior than me. But I've never seen the engineers or scientists put in the cover page at all. Always a politician yeah. or diplomat <laughs> or celebrities on the cover page. Never ever had engineers on the cover page. But you made this happen. So you made me so proud being an engineer in Korea. So that, that was a huge thing. And then from that time, 
I decided that, oh my God, I don't want to disappoint these kinds of people who yeah. feel proud yeah. to being an engineer in Korea. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's great. How was the, um, the training to be an astronaut like? How was it like for you? Did you feel well, like giving actually, up? It was very interesting because we, uh, Korean government had a contract with the Russian government. So we had a training in Russia in the middle of the Air Force base. Uh, actually, in Russia, those cosmonaut training uh, center is inside of the huge Air Force base. So whole city is the big, huge Air Force base right outside of the Moscow. And you should pass the three different security clearance gate to go to the astronaut cosmonaut training center. It's very in the center. And then, as you know, several tens years ago, that place is a very secret place yeah. for everybody. And of course, I'm the only... Asian female in whole city. So everybody recognized me <laughs> because I'm the only Asian woman and my colleague is the only Asian guy in whole city. So everybody just looked at us very strangely like a monkey in the zoo because they've never met Asian person ever in their life. Some of them, even small kids. He told me like, a, he called me like a Mulan and then his first alive Asian person is me after the watching the Mulan. <laughs> so <laughs> he even called me Mulan. So it's a very weird feeling to living in those place. Nobody can speak Korean. Not many people can speak English, only spoken Russian, and they have a totally different culture. And we went there without having any Russian language, but more than half of our training is a Russian language training because we should go to the space as a Russian crew. So we should communicate in Russian language. So we start learning Russian language from there. So it's even harder to buy bread and then grocery shopping without having any language because nobody can speak Russian in the, on the street. So very interesting experience. And at that time, it's my first time. Oh, my God, even English is not working. I've never seen this kind of city ever. But still, in the world, a lot of cities, English is not working. But I only travel in Japan and U.S. and Europe. I just thought, like, English is the universal language, but it's not. So, yeah, it's very interesting. And then people keep watching me, talking about me, not only in front of me, but also behind me. And then I realized that. Wow, for them, I'm kind of interesting animal to them. And that's also interesting. But most fun part is learning about Soyuz space capsule and International Space Station and how astronauts are trained. And then every lunchtime, uh, all Russian astronauts and cosmos uh, have lunch together in the same astronaut dining room. And we have our own astronaut dining room separately. So we always interested in hearing the other old astronauts stories and their flight and then yeah it, it was really fun <laughs> wow what were some of the 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 you know so kind of some of the challenge but how's the the training in like do you have to do some extra physical you need to go underwater for some maybe two hours or something how's it oh <laughs> uh, yeah that, that's here? really that's a really good question you know what I, most surprising thing is they don't push us to do extra physical training. 
So I just wonder, because I only do the in, inside the gym training twice a week and less than two hours. And then it's even less than my usual because in Korea, when I was in graduate school, every night I, I run for an hour and I do gym every day. But they just told me twice a week is enough. And then, oh, even less than I used to do. And they said, because we pick healthy people and we just want to maintain your healthiness. You don't have to build more muscle. You don't have to push yourself because if you try more, it's a highly opportunity to injured. So they always told us, be careful not to be injured. And then that always disturb your training. So uh, cosmetic training, except the survival training. So winter survival and sea survival is really tough and hard. It's really physically hard because whole several hours you should be in the soil capsule on top of the Black Sea and really hot and vomit because of the ship sick. And it's really hard. So at the time, I lost five kilograms in two hours. It's really, Whoa. really hard. Yeah. And winter survival in the middle of the mountain, nobody take care of us. We are just abandoned for two days and we should survive. It, it is a part of the survival training. So those two survival training is hard. But except that most of the training is half of the training is in class training, like uh, just attending college. And we take an exam and we take a quiz because we should learn about all the systems well. And also half of the training is a simulator training in the spaceship simulator and a station simulator. And they always kind of ask us to keep our own healthiness to follow up those simulator training as a schedule planned. So yeah, it it is a little bit different than I expect. Yeah, so you said, the classes that you go, you are trained to know all the systems. So for astronauts, are you supposed to have an idea on how everything operates in the rocket system up to when you are at the International Space Station? What are some of the the, the know-how every astronaut is supposed to know? Is it troubleshooting, repairs, communication? What are some of those things that everybody needs to know? And do we have specialized areas? Not, to- not everybody. Not everybody. Because some every single astronaut has their specialty. So some of astronauts are more like a medical doctor and then they are really MD and then they are more taking care of the healthy and medical things of other crew. And some of our astronauts are more like a navigating pilot and they should know all those systems of the spaceship and spacecraft more than that. And some of our astronauts are more like uh, operating and system engineering of the station and they know more detail than us about the system. But I'm more like a payload and uh, payload specialist. So my major job is taking care of the space experiment. So I don't have to know all detail of the system, but at, uh, in some case, some emergency things happen. I also should be capable of the some little important thing. So we should know about the brief overview of the system. Every single astronaut has a different job. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. Now let's talk to launch day. Mm-hmm. How, how was the feeling like? How was the night before? How was the morning? What do you have for breakfast when you're about to leave the earth? And how was, how was uh, the morning? <laughs> okay, yeah. And we should go to the Kazakhstan two, three weeks before to be prepared because launch is happening in Kazakhstan, not in Russia. 
So we went there and we should be quarantined in Cosmonaut Hotel because we better not take a cold. We better not have any virus before going to the space. So we totally quarantined from other crews and other people. And we should maintain our own body weight also. If our body weight changes in three weeks and the space capsule balance will change it. So they always... uh, first check and they said you better not change your body weight in three kilo or two kilo kind of thing yeah it's not hard but once you just taking checking it you feel more interested in your body weight even before you never talked about that and the day before my flight surgeon told me Soyeon, you should sleep as much as possible because you should have a good condition when you have a lunch and then kind of like that so we go to bed around the 9 or 10 p.m And then my flight surgeon told me, you better not wake up until I wake you up. So stay in a bed as long as possible. And so I just, okay, I will do. And then I just uh, sleep and sleep and sleep. And then in the morning time, he knocked the door and then come into my room and he just wake me up and he said, so how can you sleep until now? And I just told the surgeon, you told me I should sleep as much as possible. So I just follow your order, but no one can sleep until now. It's your lunch day. But I'm I'm good students. I'm always listening to my teacher. I always listen to my instructor. So he wake me up and you should have a cleanse all your body, not only taking shower, but also wipe out the alcohol because you don't want to have any virus on your skin. And also you have a kind of cleanse your internal also. So you don't have a breakfast. You just clean all your bowels and intestine because if you have any bad stuff in your intestine or bowel and on the way up to the space, something happened inside of your stomach and it will be really big, huge problem. So you even cleanse all your bowels and intestine. So that's a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, like a colonoscopy thing. And yeah, and then we changed our clothes and went to the... Uh, Ross customers facility and then put on the space suit two, two, three hours before launch and sit on the rocket two hours before and then we are waiting for the launch and then it's a kind of a lot of things back to back and then very uh, a lot of things to check so I don't have even spare energies of mind to be excited just follow the order follow the protocol yeah that's very straightforward was the launch being aired on Korean TV back home? Were your yeah, parents yeah. there? Oh, uh, my parents in a launch site. They came to the Kazakhstan. And then, yeah, my mom was observatory to uh, watch the rocket, but she would never watch any SF movie, anything at all. And then for her, Russian rocket looks really crappy metal. So she just hated it. And oh my God, I don't know my daughter in that crappy metal thing. And but my brother was also there, and then my brother is also engineer, and he was so excited. Oh my god, I'm in the middle of the Russia, I'm in the middle of the space center, and then he was so excited to watch the launch. And then I bring my brother to take care of my mom and dad, but he doesn't care about my mom and dad. He just keep talking with other Russian engineers and then checking about the rocket and then take a photo and take a video. So he was so excited. <laughs> wow. And I I I overheard you um, say in one one interview that the first female to go to space came to give you support. How how did that feel? Ah, yeah, that was really honored. Actually, yeah, I met her several times in uh, during the training because Valentina Treshkova 
She's not only a politician, but also a retired general of Air Force in Russia. And then she is really kind of signature person after Yuri Gagarin's death. And then she's almost like the first person ever in space after Yuri Gagarin passed away. So she visited a uh, training facility and then she just cheered all the astronaut and cosmonaut candidates and then attending the event and kind of like that. I didn't expect her to come to my launch, but surprisingly she came because we know who will come before we go, but I couldn't find her name on the list of the delegation, but she came. And that was the first surprising thing. But after changing the spacesuit, I just take a bus and then bus stop in front of the launch pad. And I found her, she used to smile at me and then outside of the bus and oh my gosh, she's came here. And then I just felt like she just escorted other Russian astronauts because she's the signature politician of the Russia. But she held my hands and then she held my hands and then she escorted me to the launch pad from the bus. And oh my God, what, a, what an honor. Because first ever female astronaut take me to the launch pad on the launch side. And then that was huge. And I was so excited. But I already knew that she has a daughter and then she has a granddaughter and her granddaughter is the same age of mine. And she talked about her granddaughter sometimes to me. And we talk about that and she's not smiling at all. And she just started worrying about me. That was really interesting observation. So it's the kind of same as the old parents because most of the parents, even if something really bad happened, for them, it's okay. But they always worry about their kids. They are children. And so Valentina Tereshkova, you know what? When she fly, her spaceship is even more dangerous than mine because it's a long time ago. And at the time, even some people are killed. But she just didn't think about that is really dangerous. And she just worried about my flight. And she just keep telling me, everything will be okay. So don't worry about it. Everything will be okay. Don't worry about it. But I was totally okay. But she's not that okay like a mom. So yeah, that's really touching. And then even since that, she act like my grandma every time I met. <laughs> and she always keep asking me, do you meet any guy? Do you date? And then, and then what kind of guy do you date? And then when you will marry? And then after I married with my husband, he she keep asking my husband, and then what did you do? And then what kind of job do you have? And then when you will guys have a kid? And then it's exactly like my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what was the feeling when you were launching, when you were leaving the Earth, which a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do, you know, when you were leaving the Earth physically, how was the feeling for you, for you? Like, were there any windows where you could see behind you? Uh, actually, the Soyuz capsule is covered by the nose cone, so we couldn't see anything through the window during the launch. After 10 minutes or 15 minutes later, you can see uh, through the window. So that's the difference from the space shuttle, uh, because space shuttle is uh, t- attached to the outside, so you can see through the window. But Soyuz capsule is on top of the rocket, and then nose cone is covered, so you cannot see through the window at all during the launch. But anyway, yeah, you can feel the shake. And you can feel the G-force and we all yelling each other, oh my God, we are going, we are going. <laughs> and But two, three Gs on your chest. So, and then a lot of factor you should have uh, monitoring, you should talk with the MCC. So it was quite busy, but after 10 minutes, we feel the zero gravity 
and then nose cone is open you can see through the window and then we all excited and we yelling oh my god it's space we are on the on on the orbit and then that that's really exciting that's really really exciting mm-hmm. wow wow so when you got to the, the 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 space station how was that place like is it is it a whole community where people walk yeah, with their flag? <laughs> and also, you know what? Space station is not that big. It's kind of like a small little kind of RV camping car like styles and but thin and long. But I realized that even if it's not that big, huge house, this feel like huge house because your perception became different. So on the earth, because of the gravity, when you're thinking about the, how big it is, it's more like based on the size of the floor, not the volume, not the surface area. But in space, you don't have gravity. So not only floor, but also wall, even ceiling can be your floor. So okay. you feel more roomier. You feel bigger, even if the same volume of the structure. So. It, it, it is very interesting feeling, yeah. So when you were looking at the Earth, what was going through your mind? Did you feel like Superman? Did you feel like any of those, you know, people in the Star Trek and movies? What was going, what was going through your mind? Were you ever concerned about not coming back to the Earth? Oh, you know what? It's a very interesting feeling when you look down to the Earth. And then it's a little bit more mindful than thinking about that when you go on, on top of the kind of empire state building or really tall building on top of that. And then you just look down to the, your city and you feel like, oh my God, my city is that small. And then my house is that small. And then people's are that small. And then you feel like you became a third person out of the city, right? But when you go up to the space station and the whole earth beneath you, and the whole earth became the, kind of object you are watching you are not in there you are outside of there you became a third person point of view and that's very interesting and wow that's beautiful and that's the earth i came from oh my god and i cannot see any arguing i cannot see any border between the countries and i cannot see all this kind of thing and then every single people became way too small even smaller than dust and then, oh my God, why I had a lot of conflict? Why I had a lot of problem in that peaceful, on that peaceful earth? And then also I feel like, oh my God, we did a lot of bad thing on the earth and then climate change and then pollutions and everything. So you have a lot of big, huge ideas and minds in your mind. And then you became a little bit different person. Yeah, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a... This is a very funny question, but can you hear the noise from coming out from the earth? Uh, I cannot hear any noise from there, but I can hear the noise from the space station because the space station doesn't have a gravity. And then, but if you don't have a gravity, you easy to be choked because your carbon dioxide from your nose and it stay in your face. So the reason why to survive you, whole space station has a ventilation systems and a lot of fans are working. So those fan sounds is very noisy. Are you able to tell developed countries from undeveloped countries from outer space? Yeah, Are you course. able to tell? Yeah. yeah, because that's very sad, especially when I look down to the earth and then when I look down to the Korea, I can see the clear border between the South Korea and North Korea at night. 
because South Korea can afford to have a kind of street light. Every single building has a light. So even at in the middle of the night, they are so bright because they turn on all the light because they have a lot of electricity. But North Korea, they cannot afford to have uh, electricity grid. So during the night, they are total dark, except some part of the Pyongyang of the capital. So it's so sad to see clear border between the developed country and underdeveloped country, like uh, India and uh, uh, India and Pakistan or U.S. and Mexico, especially two different countries, underdeveloped and kind of highly developed countries side by side, you can see the clear border between two because one country has a good electricity grid and then they have a street light everywhere until the border. But another country doesn't have any electricity at night and they have a total dark. So that's really sad because during the daytime, you cannot see the, any border at all. But at nighttime, you can see the, between, uh, see the border between two countries. Of course, in Europe, pretty much... All of the European countries have the same level of the economy. So you cannot see the border between the European country. But it's really clear between South and North Korea. And as the person who came from the Korea, it's really sad because thinking about the kids who grow up in North Korea, they didn't choose the country. They just were mm. born there without yeah. having any reason. But only because they were born there, they don't have education system. They don't have a good electricity. They don't have internet. They don't have a good education systems. And then... It's unfair because it's not their choice. So I just looking back my life, a lot of time look down to the earth when I look down to the earth because I thought like success is mine. And I thought like my success is made by me. But when I look down to the earth, I realized that it's not mine at all because starting point is different. If you were born in Ghana or if you were born in Ukraine right now, or if you were born in Afghanistan, or if you were born in America, if you were born in Europe, or if you were born in South Korea or North Korea, kids start their life totally differently. Yeah. So even if you are so successful, it's not yours because starting point is just a given. It's not from your effort. So of course, every single people has a responsibility to develop yourself and to do their best or make a huge effort to be successful and change their lives and change their world. But still, unfair things happen. So I, I just thought like, what if I were born in North Korea? Can I even go to the college? Yeah, I, I studied a lot and I did my best. But even if I did my best, what if I were born in the middle of the Ukraine right, right now? Then my life can be totally different, right? So. At the time, I realized, oh, my God, I should be grateful for the place I was born because only because I was born from my family and from my country, I can be here. So that that's really huge, mind-breaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how was the, the the view and the lighting and light in, in, in space? You, you spoke about night. Is it, is it always night? That, can it be night in space? Do you see the... The impact of the sun. Ah, yeah, there. it's really <laughs> Yeah. So actually, space station rotating around the Earth every day 16 times. It means we had a 16 times a sunset, 16 times a sunrise. So we cannot live with the sunshine or those kind of light. And then also we have a very little small windows. So we don't have enough sunlight through the window. 
So we have our own internal light. And then humankind, we are accustomed to live with 24 hours. So we live 24 hours a day inside of the International Space Station with uh, control our own internal light. Okay, so when you say International Space Station, were you meeting up with other astronauts from other countries? Were you having places <laughs> where you were interacting with? How's it? Yeah. How's the whole yeah. place? Sometimes, like? sometimes we all together walk together, and sometimes every single astronaut have their own individual mission, their own individual schedule. So before going to the space station, we coordinate all the schedule together. So if there's a mission to walk together, we put those schedule first and then schedule other individual mission kind of like that. And then most of the time around the dinner time, we always gather together and then brief about our daily missions and times. And then we just announce each other if there's any problems, anything we should work together tomorrow and then, or any emergent things happen. And we always share together. Of course, not only dinner time, but also every time we share together, but we always have a kind of daily meeting time around the dinner time, we all together. And, and depends on some experiment. Sometimes I work with the Russian astronaut. Sometimes I work with the American astronaut. And when I was up there, we have uh, three Russian astronauts and two American astronauts, and I'm the Korean astronaut, so we work together. But when we have a European astronaut and Japanese astronaut, it might be different. So, yeah, those old schedules and missions, uh, even several months before, we all coordinate and schedule together. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the main objectives and experiments that? you astronauts do inside space? Are you looking out for aliens? Are you looking at the satellites? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) looking after the alien is not our job, more like uh, more astrophysics and astro uh, science job because it's not just from the space station. It should be the far, far, far away mission thing. But most of the astronauts' mission is more like the kind of geography or... uh, kind of life support systems and or long-term space flights. Uh, we have always dialogue mission in a short-term space flight like a mission, uh, ISS. So depends on which country and depends on which project. I cannot generalize space experiment in one word. And then every single country, every single mission, every single project has a different goals and different mindset. And in all different kinds of fields, especially Russia and America, they always have their own astronaut in space station. They have a several years long-term experiment and sometimes several months long-term experiment. Sometimes it's a really short-term one, two days or one-time test. But my case is my flight is only nine days in space station and Korea's first and only. So our experiment cannot be the long-term. It's all of them are short-term. So it always depends. You cannot generalize it. Yeah, you mentioned dinner. So how do you have their dinner? Do you do you are you are you hanging around or you you're able to sit down and then and then and then have the dinner in space? Oh yeah. So first of all, we don't have to sit down because there's no gravity and we always floating around and then hold the handrails and fix our body with the handrail or put the foot rails and put our feet. And yeah, and we always find us some place to walk and we are already assigned what kind of experiment should be done in what kind of place and what portion of the part and then what part of the International Space Station I should to leave and are very planned but sometimes we cannot follow the planned schedules then we can arrange each other 
with the other astronaut and then but luckily in nowadays it's more but when i was in space station already 14 years ago we only have uh, three cabins but uh my time is a uh, six astronauts over there so because i'm a woman so to change clothes and everything i need my own privacy so they gave me the cabin to me and another russian astronaut has a cabin and then one american astronaut occupy one cabin and then other astronauts just stay in a empty uh, module and area but three of us will go down to the earth soon so they can occupy cabin like that so yeah every single corner every single place and everything's are very well arranged and scheduled not only by astronaut but also by the mission control people <laughs> wow that's great were you able to practice your taekwondo in space uh not practice but i simulated <laughs> because there's no draw or uh, no gravity you can do easily flying kick like a Jackie Chan so that's really fun <laughs> <laughs> wow wow that's amazing so now let's just how how does the stars look like really i i didn't i didn't like how we see them or they have a different color or oh <laughs> uh, yeah so that's really good question actually you know what on the earth if you look up to the night sky most of the stars look a little bit more yellowish right because but sun and high has a different color because of their temperature right but why we cannot see the different color on the night sky because of the atmosphere has a light diffraction so only longer wavelengths yellow and little bit yellowish light survive and touch your eyes so most of the stars looks like yellow and little bit white but in space station you are above the atmosphere so you have a natural color of the stars so every single star has a little bit more colorful so i i always have this kind of metaphor like uh, if you look up to the night sky on the ground it means you are watching the black and white tv but if you look up to the night sky in the space station you just look up to the 4k full hd <laughs> color tv because total empty and total vacuum between you and uh, stars. But one thing I really want to tell you is, anyway, stars are far, far, far away, several light years away. So size and formation is the same. Only different is the color. Yeah, so how are some of the colors like? Do you, do you have some blue, green, red? Yeah, yeah, all different colors. And then that's very beautiful. But you cannot take a photo because space station moves 8 kilometers per second. So you cannot have a good focus with those little... start. Wow. Now let's talk about coming back to the air. How was it? How was it feel like were you were you um scared because you know we've we've heard from movies and plays that a little deflection and you're off the orbit, you know, re-entry speed and and all Actually, that. I, I, I didn't scared. And I need more time to be in space. So that's a little bit disappointing to go back to the earth and then I didn't have any scary feeling but on the way back to the earth we had a ballistic reentry has a problem with the separation process from that time I feel a little bit scary but all my colleagues uh Peggy and Yuri they look really normal and calm and then they act really professional so I realized that I don't have to be scary I really want to try help them so yeah it's not that scary scary but a little bit concerned after having the accident. Mm-hmm. Wow. When you came back, what has changed about you? Came back, the feeling I remember is it's really 
tired because in zero gravity, you don't have any gravity. But once you touch down on the earth, you should have a 1G gravity. And you feel like your body is so heavy. And you feel like a little bit dizzy because of the space sickness. And then, yeah, I still remember that really crazy tired feeling after landing on the ground. And also, as I told you, we have an accident and a ballistic reentry. So search and rescue team cannot find us right away. So we should wait for the search and rescue team for a while. And uh, local Kazakhstan nomadic people came to us first, and then they just tried to help us. And that was really interesting feeling. <laughs> and yeah, but after space flight, if you ask me about overall feeling as a first Korean astronaut, even before going to the space, I've been in Russia and I've been in Kazakhstan. So I couldn't feel like all Korean people's knows me like that because I was isolated. I couldn't mm -hmm. have a chance to in, uh, interact with the Korean general public. But after all space flight and then coming back to Korea, because I'm the first Korean astronaut, everybody recognized me and then everybody knows my name. Everybody knows my face. And then some people loves me and some people hate me without having any reason. <sighs> and some people jealous about that. And then all those kind of things are most hardest part I should handle after my space flight. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. So how have you been impacting young Korean girls who, you know, this month is uh, International Women's Month. How have you been helping young girls with coming from a background like yours? You know, your story is similar to the African story, you know, family are farmers. How are you doing to encourage more women to believe in themselves, to dream and achieve some of the, the achievements that you have made? Actually, because I'm not a little girl, I don't know exactly, but... <laughs> But I hope it could be the impact for them to just watch and to have the non-traditional astronaut demographics made a space flight can be the some meaning to them. Because when I was a kid, space travel and being an astronaut is just Russian or American story, not our story. Yeah. Because we don't, uh, Korea doesn't have a space agency, Korea doesn't have any astronaut program. So I just thought, like, maybe it's a rich country's story. Maybe only you should be the American guy or Russian guy, then you can do that. As a small little Asian girl, it's not possible. That's my bias. And then that's the, not only bias, but also that's the truth at the time. But after I became the first Korean astronaut as a female, and a lot of girls can think like, oh, if she can do it, why not I can do it? Yeah. So I hope the little girls can think like that because I'm not the special person. I just grew up like many of the Korean kids. And then I grew up like many of the African girls. So not because I'm the amazing person, but because I'm the just a general public and an average person. I hope I can be their hope because, yeah, sometimes I feel so happy that when I visit a small little primary school in a rural area and they realize that I'm not that kind of different from them and I just grew up like them and they just said, like, it's unfair. And I asked them back, why? Because I'm way too young. I cannot apply for an astronaut. I'm smarter than you. So if, if the astronaut program is happening, 
10 years later, I can apply and I can beat you. And then I said, yeah, definitely you can beat me. So if I can do like this, why not you can do? So that's what I really want kids to think of that. So because I'm not that special and you are special, so you can do better than me. Yeah. So how have you been able to handle all the fame and all the attention and press attention and everything? Well, how have you been able to handle all those Second things? Speaking, it's so hard. It's <laughs> really, really hard. And many people talking about your life and in every single of your actions. And it's really hard and disturbing. And then sometimes it's good because it means a lot of people are interested in you. It means people knows you. It means you are popular and have some kind of influential power. But most of the time, it's a little bit hard. But I try to take as a, something I should pay because what kind of overall world and life is a kind of fair. So if you have a really, if you really want to have a good thing, you should pay for that. So any good thing is not free. Any good thing. So if something is given to you free, you should suspicious about that. It should have some kind of consequence. So I'm honored to be on the first Korean astronaut. And I had a privilege to go to the space flight. Then a little bit disturbing and then uncomfortable having the fame and then popularity and well-known. Then you should handle it. That's the consequence. You cannot only take the good thing. You always take the good thing and better thing together. It's always combination together. So if you want to have a really good thing, you should pay that much. So if yeah. something is easy, it's not that good. So yeah, to that that's the burden and that's the cross to be the first of something in certain country. So I should handle it. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the the key principles that you live by in your in your in your life now in your work oh uh, I, I always try to think about like just be happy right now okay and then do my best to be happy right now with my family with my loved one but not as a selfish way but as a community mind try to uh tell my friends and mentees and students and youth and kids and children like world is not for being alone world is for living together then your success is important but your friend's success your colleague's success same national people citizen success is as important as your success so make your dreams come true is really important but more important is make your friends dreams come true make your colleagues dreams come true and then helping each other and to go up higher don't push down other people just the hand in hands and then go together a little bit higher that's always better so i'm always thinking about how i can help other people and how we can be happy together because if i'm alone happy it's not happy yeah wow you have a book, right? What, what, what was it about? <laughs> Actually, I wrote a book in Korea for the Korean teenagers, but at the time I was not ready. So I, I don't like that book that much because <laughs> I was more 
uh, a future opportunity, I would love to write another book for the other people. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. That is great. That is amazing. So when are we expecting you in Africa? We will... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so any good opportunity to join or to talk or anything, let me know. Yeah, hopefully I have a opportunity to visit Africa as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, we should. They will, they will, the, the girls there will be so happy to see you. So, uh, Dr. Soyeon, thank you so much. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean... You are a pace setter. I mean, you are someone who has made history. And we are so, so glad uh, to have had you on the show. We'll definitely reach out again. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. 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 Thank you so much for inviting me. And thank you so much for giving me opportunity to sharing my story. And then thank you all audience to listening to my story. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations on completing today's episode. I hope you were inspired. Deciding to win is a call to action. Not for tomorrow, nor next year, but for today, for now. We would like to hear from you. Reach out to us on Instagram and on Facebook at Deciding to Win. Share this podcast with your friends and family. And if you are inclined, please leave us a 4 or 5 star rating. Remember, you will win if only you decide. Love you all.